This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest with us. We have Brother Brown. I'm super excited about this. He's an author. He's a pastor. Um, he's got some incredible content on its way out, and uh, I've been privileged to uh, get a, a, a an early sneak peek of that. Um, but today we're going to be talking about something incredible. Uh, Brother Brown, would you just introduce yourself, tell the listeners a bit about you, uh, and then we'll get right into what you've what you've prepared. Hey man, well praise the Lord everybody. Uh, my name is Lewis Brown. I am, I uh, hope first and foremost, I'm a Christian. Uh, and uh, I hope I hope everyone that comes into contact with me believes that of me. Uh, secondly, I, I think uh, my next calling is to be a husband. And uh, my wife Marie and I have a wonderful uh, family, four children. Uh, and uh, so that means my next calling is to be a father. Uh, and then Everything else lines up after that, but I do pastor a great church here in New Britain, in New Britain, Connecticut, uh, called the Pentecostals of New Britain. Um, ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church International. Also privileged to serve uh, our uh, world network of prayer with the United Pentecostal Church uh, as a regional coordinator for here in the Northeast. Um, and uh, as uh, Brother uh, Brandon mentioned, I, I do have a, a book that's out and a couple more coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, book entitled Wearers of the Ephod, and uh, specifically written to men. Well, there's a lot of good content in there, but really trying to help men become uh, stronger men, stronger leaders uh, in their families, and that is really my passion in ministry is uh, to first souls, and then I believe that stronger men make stronger marriages, and stronger marriages make stronger families and stronger families make stronger churches and you could just go on up the chain stronger churches make stronger communities and it just goes on up all the way up uh through the world and uh so i love to help men and i love to help marriages and hopefully we can do a little bit of that tonight amen praise god um so i mean you really cut right to it we're going to be talking about um a lot of the content from um this book his book Wearers of the Ephod, which uh, you can purchase right on Amazon. Um, do you have a personal website that you sell your book on, or is it strictly on uh, Amazon? I don't have a personal website that I sell it on, uh, but anyone could always email me at pastorbrown at mbupc.org, um, and we can uh, work it out because I do have copies I can send. Perfect. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be delving into... Uh, hopefully not the whole book, uh, but to give you a little bit of incentive to purchase the book, um, because it, it it to be honest, I've read it. It's it's transforming. It's life transforming for husbands, fathers, um, you know. And if you're looking into the future and and what you need to be as a man and what you need to be uh, for God. Um, you know, it's, it's just got a lot of great content, so I'm looking forward to uh, what you're going to share with us today, bro. So the, you have the floor, my friend. Well, amen. Thank you, Brother Brandon. I appreciate that. Um, let me tell you just a little bit of the story behind the book. Um, when my wife, well, I, I, let me go back a little bit further uh, than that. When I was in Bible college, my, my probably second class in Bible college, uh, one of our teachers, Reverend Kelsey Griffin, uh, said that every man needs a priest and a prophet and a king. 
And, of course, he was referring to Jesus being all of that for us. But that statement and that phrase stuck out to me. Then when uh, fast forward a couple of years, I married uh, my my beautiful wife and uh, we uh, were expecting our first child. Uh, the Lord spoke to me clearly and said, you're going to name him Eleazar because he'll be a priest unto me. So I immediately began seeking the face of the Lord, trying to figure out what that means. And, uh, and so I started doing research on what it meant and to be a priest and what, what, what did the Bible talk about the priesthood and what did that mean? Uh, so kind of in the natural flow of me, uh, being able to, uh, figure out how to raise my son in the way that he should go, as the Bible tells us to train him up in the way he should go, it kind of morphed into, Hey, there's a book coming uh, out of this. And, and really there's three books coming out of that because now I have three boys. And when I, when we were expecting my second son, uh, the Lord said, now you have your prophet, you're going to name him Micah, uh, and you're going to have a King. And so I said, okay, so now priest, prophet, King, and the title of the series of books that I'll be writing is Priest, Prophet, King. And in this series, I'm trying to take the biblical role of priest, the biblical role of prophet and king, and relate that to the man's responsibility as the heads and the leaders of their households. And so that's kind of how everything started. And then I got involved with a thing called Man Up Adventures, not not a shameless plug there, but uh, Man Up Adventures, you could Google that. That's an amazing thing. It's probably the best thing going in men's ministry right now. Uh, but I got involved in that. And during the course of that, I started being really challenged uh, to uh, share what God has given to me uh, in, in a different format. And I've always wanted to write a book. And so it just kind of came, it was going to be one book and then it got divided into three books and a series instead. And so, uh, that's kind of where, where it all came from. Now this book, and I don't know how well, well, you're not going to see it anyway. <laughs> um, the, I, I've got the book in my hand and, and this book, Where's of the Ephod is really about being the priest of the home. What does it mean to, uh, exercise the authority and the dominion you have as a priest uh, in your home. And I, I'm not going to, obviously we're not going to visit every chapter. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure how much of the full content we'll get to because I, I really feel a unction of the Holy Ghost to, to speak about a couple of specific things. Uh, but in this book, uh, we talk about consecrating yourself, talk about setting the standard for your home, for your children, for your wife, uh, teaching the word. Uh, we talk about administering the blessing, leading in worship, keeping the fires burning, uh, and all those uh, tending the fires, keeping them, dressing and keeping the garden. Uh, so there's things in that book that, that really relate to the priesthood. It's called Wares of the Ephod because the priest wore the ephod. And I think one of the most important things about that is that as the priest, he uh, bore that he wore that ephod, and on the ephod was twelve stones, and on each one of those stones was written the names of one of the tribes of Israel. And then he had two stones that were on the shoulders, and upon each one of those stones was written six names of all the to make sure all the twelve tribes of Israel were on there. And in that, the Lord was telling the priest that he carried the people over his heart. And he carried the people on his shoulders to help 
bear their burdens. And as a father, as a husband, it is my job to carry my wife and my children in my heart and on my shoulders to help carry their burdens. And that's what the book is all about. Um, I like to kind of start by telling a story. Uh, it's a little bit extreme, but I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in your home. And if your home is like mine, just imagine that you have a stairwell, a stairway there and you're sitting on the stairs and right in front of the stairs is the front door to your house. And all of a sudden a burglar comes in. And you know who, what he is. He's dressed like a burglar. He's planning on ransacking your house, maybe doing harm to your family. But you're sitting on those steps, and you've got a double-barrel shotgun loaded with buckshot. Who's in control in that situation? Well, it's obviously you. That burglar's not going to get very far in your house with you. I mean, there's something about the looking down the barrel of a shotgun that uh, will cause even the strongest of men to tremble in fear and maybe even hit that fight or flight syndrome and, and run as fast as they can. But if you flip the tables a little bit and if you were to imagine with me, and I know this is an extreme and none of us would do this, but if you would imagine with me that, that you laid that shotgun down, still loaded on the stairs and just walked up the stairs and went into your bedroom and laid down again while the burglar was still in your house. Now, I, again, I know you wouldn't do anything like that, but if you were to do that, that burglar most likely is going to pick up that shotgun and you're going to come back down the stairs when you rethink things and realize you probably made a really big mistake. You come back down those stairs and now he's got the shotgun. Now who's in charge of the situation? Well, obviously, it's the one holding the shotgun again. Um, I know that's a crazy little story, but I was listening to a, one of the episodes from a couple of months back uh, with uh, Pastor Jason Razor on uh, when he was talking about apostolic authority. And as I began to pray, I began to think about that little story and what happened was the man the the man that laid the shotgun down vacated his position of authority and i want every man that's listening right now to understand that you have authority in the dominion and dominion in what is called your garden, which is your marriage and which is your family. And that dominion is not for you to have an exercise dominion and authority over your wife and children, but you have dominion over anything that would come in to burglarize or to destroy or to steal or to hurt or harm your marriage or your family. And I feel like Everyone, every man, every husband, every father needs to get a revelation of the dominion and authority that we have as the priests and as the prophets and as the kings of our homes. And I want to breach the, the subject of apostolic authority from a family and a marriage uh, mindset and point of view tonight. 
I believe if we claim to be apostolic, then we ought to be apostolic in everything we do. And that includes our marriages. If we claim to be apostolic in doctrine, then maybe we ought to be apostolic in character. If I claim to be apostolic in function and operation, then I need to be apostolic in my home as much as I am in my church. And it's not just me. There, there's apostolic authority uh, in our marriage, not just for the men, but also for the women. And when husbands and wives get in the creative order and they begin to work together as a team the way they're supposed to, there's a great authority that that is released unto them and they're able to operate in it. So let me see if I can pique your interest a little bit by just saying this. When I started doing some of this stuff that that I'm going to talk about tonight, my marriage was absolutely transformed in every imaginable way. And and I do mean every way. I don't I don't think I need to really expound upon that. But my relationship with my wife is the best that it has ever been. And I would even say it's better than I ever expected because of understanding some of these things I'm going to talk about tonight and putting them into practice. I'm more fulfilled in my marriage physically, emotionally, and spiritually as a result of these things. And why is that? Because those are the three dimensions of intimacy, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And the things that we talk about tonight, if we will apply them, are going to help us increase in our marriages our intimacy in the spiritual and emotional dimensions, which is always going to lead to greater intimacy in the physical dimension. So let's talk a little bit about way back in the beginning. Adam in that garden during the temptation was just like that man in our opening story who had the authority as long as he held the gun. But when he put that gun down, he vacated that authority. What we don't often want to admit or understand is that Adam was with Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. I know that there are some people who subscribe to the notion that there are timelines in Scripture and maybe Adam really wasn't right there with her at that time and and they try to make all kinds of things. Listen, I prefer to take scripture literally whenever I can. If, if you believe it, otherwise that's fine. But I, just to be safe, I looked it up in the Hebrew. (laughs) What does that word with mean in the Hebrew? It means with, (laughs) wow. Great revelation, right? No matter of fact, it means with reward or beside. Wow. So I believe, yeah, (laughs) I believe that Adam was right there beside Eve when the serpent was talking to her. I think it's safe to say in real time he was right there, but he just simply sat back and watched as that interloper, the serpent, the serpent came into the garden and began to speak to Eve. Now, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I've never seen this before, so 
it wouldn't have been unfamiliar for serpents to be in the garden. It wouldn't have been unfamiliar for any animal to be walking around in the garden. They were very familiar with all the animals. Adam named the animals. That was part of his job and part of his responsibility. So it wouldn't have been abnormal for animals to be around. They were familiar with animals. But when the serpent began to speak, that was unfamiliar. Let me tell somebody tonight to be careful, first of all, with whom and with what you become familiar. Familiar spirits are sneaky sometimes, like serpents. They they, they become, but we, we got to be careful because sometimes they'll become so familiar to us that we're no longer alarmed at their presence. And that's when things get weird because we need to be careful when things or people with whom we are familiar start to do unfamiliar things like a serpent talking. If God wanted a serpent to speak, he would have given him a voice. Usually when something familiar starts to do something unfamiliar, there's something spiritual going on. Not always a bad thing. When Moses was in the desert, he saw plenty of bushes burning. But most of the time they were consumed. There was something spiritual going on when he saw a bush burning, but it wasn't consumed. So it was familiar to see a burning bush, but not familiar to see a bush, a burning bush that wasn't consumed. So Moses perceived that something spiritual was happening and he went to check it out. When Balaam's donkey with whom Balaam was very familiar, started acting in an unfamiliar way. It should have alerted the prophet that there was something spiritual going on. But in his mindset, he he didn't even realize there was an angel there. But there was something spiritual going on. Let me tell a man or a woman right now that's listening to this podcast, when your spouse, with whom I hope you are quite familiar, starts to act in an unfamiliar way, there may be something spiritual going on. Every argument is not necessarily just for argument's sake. You ever had those arguments when you don't even know why you're arguing? Come on, Brother Cooker, I know. I know. I know it's happened. Right? I know it's happened. It's happened to all of us. And when we can't understand what's happening and it seems so unfamiliar, like this is not, this is out of the norm. This is not normal behavior for my spouse or, or for me. Let me just look in the mirror sometimes, because sometimes it's me acting unfamiliar. There's something spiritual going on. There's an interloper, and we need to learn to recognize that interloper. And then we need to speak up, and we need to take authority and dominion over that interloper and get it out of our marriage or get it out of our family. Sometimes it's just getting it out of our mind, because sometimes it's just here in our mind. But the moment that Adam went silent and failed to speak up, and lead and exercise his God-given dominion and authority. He vacated that seat of authority. He put that gun down. And the minute he vacated his dominion and his authority, Satan stepped in and usurped that authority. He took authority that did not belong to him. But the only way he could get it was for Adam to lay it down. I think sometimes we need to stop giving the devil so much credit. Sometimes we blame the devil when it's our own passivity, our own laziness, or our own improper positioning that's the thing that let the devil in. 
The devil can't just come in and steal my authority. The only authority that Satan has access to is authority that I forfeit by my passivity and exercising the authority that God gave me. That needs to help somebody right now, especially a husband, especially a couple that may be struggling with their children right now. You have authority and you have dominion in your home and you need to exercise it and you need to start using your voice to exercise that authority. Husbands and fathers, let me speak a word directly to you right now. If you'll hear this word, if you'll receive it, if you'll if you'll put into action, it's going to transform your marriage and your family. You have dominion in the garden that is your marriage and family. And so before you now, now, now hold on a second, before you start beating your chest and grunting and, and, and roaring and, 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 and acting all Tarzan like that, that, that dominion is not to be lorded over your wife and family. All right. <laughs> that dominion is to protect your wife and family. You have dominion and you have authority over any and all interlopers that will try to sneak their way into the realm of your dominion. And you have the authority to stop them in their tracks when they try to slither their way into your marriage and into your family. And so do not sit back and go silent like Adam did in the garden. Use your voice. You see, when we use our voice, our voice to guard and protect our families or our marriages, we are in the will of God because God gave us that authority and that dominion. And so when I begin to declare to the enemy that he has no room to operate in my family, when I begin to take authority over over the enemy that's trying to come in and attack my marriage, then I am in the will of God in that moment. And therefore, what I begin to declare in the spirit is echoing what the spirit is already declaring. And when my voice becomes an echo of the voice of the Holy Ghost, then all power in heaven is backing up my words. Come on, man. I want you to understand tonight. Use your voice. I need to speak to some parents right now. Use your voice, not against your children, but against hell that's attacking your children. Use your voice. You have an echo of heaven in your voice when you will step up and pray for your family. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost right now. Use your voice. Don't let the interlopers creep in and wreak havoc in your home. Speaking of interlopers, how do they get in? They don't, they don't usually ring the doorbell. And they don't have a key. Well, they shouldn't have a key. Sometimes we give them the keys with our TV or our internet or our social media or the things we read or the conversations we have. And before we know it, the interlopers are just waltzing right in and making themselves at home and having a cup of coffee and eating at our table with us. But most of the time, the interlopers can't just walk in. You know, sometimes they walk in through those arguments we talked about earlier. Now, Sometimes your own flesh is the interloper. Sometimes I'm the interloper, and that means I got to crucify my flesh. I got to get right. I got to eat some humble pie, and maybe I need to use my voice to apologize and make things right. Nobody wants to hear that, but sometimes I'm the interloper in my own marriage, and I got I to gotta make sure that I recognize that when it's happening. But sometimes those arguments are just irrational. 
those tensions are there. We don't understand why those we, we, we can't explain it. We, the, there's contention and tension and everybody in the family is, is just like at each other's throats. And what happened? Like what's going on? I like to tell my family sometimes that, all right, it's time for us to stop, look and listen. It's time for us to turn our spiritual radars on if they were off and recognize, hold on a second, something's not right here. We're familiar with one another and we're we're exhibiting behaviors that are unfamiliar. There's something spiritual going on. And so the first thing that we need to do when we realize that is to start repenting. Personally, I have to start repenting because I want to make sure that I'm right. Because before I'm going to go and start trying to exercise dominion and authority over uh, an enemy, I need to make sure I'm lined up under my authority. Because if I, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if I'm if I'm uh, not under proper authority, then I don't have any authority to exercise. So I got to make sure I'm being very careful. So the first step is always repentance getting myself right. Sometimes as a family, we'll repent together or as a married couple, we'll repent together. What we're doing is we're aligning ourselves with God. And then once we know we're in proper alignment and that tension and that argument is still there or (laughs) those icicles are still hanging in the atmosphere. (laughs) Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Seems like no matter what we do, no matter how many times we apologize, there's still just some, there's still something very uncomfortable going on. All right, stop and call a prayer meeting. It's not easy when your spouse is mad at you to say, "Hey, stop, let's pray." But sometimes that's the best thing to do, and your spouse won't always be receptive to it, or your kids might not always be receptive to it. But do it anyway, because in those moments, if you're under spiritual attack, it's time to start using spiritual weapons and stop attacking the flesh and blood, because that's not who we wrestle against. We all know that. So we start in those moments when it's time to pray those prayers, we start praying repentance. And if I've already repented myself, that's all right. We're going to repent again. Because when I start leading my family in a prayer of repentance, I'm praying, or my wife in a prayer of repentance, I'm praying as a husband or a dad, and I'm praying on their behalf as the intercessor. The priest was called to be an intercessor for his family. And so it is the intercession of the one who is in authority that many times will evict the interloper. I'll say that again. The intercession of the one in authority will many times evict the interloper that comes into our marriage or our family. And wives, that's going to work for you, too. It's not easy always when I I told my wife one time and it kind of got me in more trouble at the time, but we've kind of laughed about it since. But, you know, she said, sometimes I just need a hug. I said, well, it's 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 hard to hug a cactus. Well, uh, that cactus began to shoot porcupine quills out at me at the time when I said it. We laugh about it now because, you know, we can use it as an author. I never should have said that. I was wrong in saying that in that moment. I was in my flesh and I was an interloper. 
But the truth of the matter is, sometimes I'm the cactus, and my wife doesn't want to be anywhere near me. So I gotta, I gotta, you know, burn those spines off the cactus for a little bit through repentance and prayer and humbling myself or whatever. But, but it's it's not always easy, and they may not even want to do it. But praying together when there's an interloper is the first thing that needs to be done, and it's the best thing to do. Amen. When Adam failed to lead his wife, vacating that dominion and forfeiting that authority, it created problems for every man ever since then and every woman too. But I was thinking about it the other day. Maybe Adam went silent because he loved Eve so much and he simply wanted her to have everything she wanted. I never thought about that until recently, but... I've experienced that when it's just hard for me to say no or I'm going to do everything I can. I, and, and not just necessarily to say no to my wife, but sometimes to say no to just different things. And, 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 and sometimes I don't have the heart to tell my wife no. And it's not telling her no as, in I, as if I'm, I'm in charge and you just can't do this. It's sometimes like we, we can't really afford that right now or uh, we, we, we shouldn't do that we, we we shouldn't there's been times that you know it, it's like oh we don't need to watch that and sometimes we do that with our kids you know and we, we need to tell no say no sometimes we need to exercise that authority um and but and adam had authority in that sense to stop the serpent from talking to her and to stop eve from eating from that tree but maybe because he didn't want to hurt her feelings he went passively silent instead we want to give Adam a hard time about it, but, you know, maybe it's just he loved her so much. But guess what? We've got to love God and his commands more than we love our spouses. My spouse is not my first love. I love my wife with all my heart, but I love Jesus first. And I'm not her first love. Jesus is her first love. And I'm glad it's that way because that makes everything else better. Amen. We're going to help some marriages tonight, I think. But marriage is apostolic. Marriage is God-ordained. Marriage was instituted before there was ever a single apostle that was ordained. So marriage is at the heart of God. And Paul told us that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation to which we're called. And I would say that marriage is perhaps the highest calling of all. It's the first if you're married, that's your first calling other than your relationship with God above everything else. And here some of y'all thought it was just for your satisfaction or your pro or procreation, right? So so you wouldn't be alone, so God brought you a help meet. No, it's more than that. There's a high calling to it because there's a God purpose to every single marriage. Genesis tells us that God made Adam for and with a purpose. And then he saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone in trying to fulfill that purpose. I know this isn't really in the book, Brother Crooker. Maybe I'll have to write another book to put this in there. But I just I felt like this is what I needed to share. God didn't want Adam. It was not good for Adam to be alone in trying to fulfill his purpose. So he made woman and he brought her unto the man to be a helpmeet. Now, that word helpmeet is a very interesting word in Hebrew. The only other time, the only other places that actual Hebrew word is used in the Bible always refers to God helping man. The only wow. time it's used 
in any other way, in any other place, is God helping man. So all you husbands out there need to get a revelation tonight that your wife is a godsend to you. He sent her to help you. You can't do it alone. You've got a great God purpose. Every one of you do. And it's too big for you. And you need help. So God gave you a helper. And all the women said amen. And I hope the men are saying amen too. He didn't just give you any helper though. He sent a helper that is meet for you, which means a helper that is perfectly fit for you. So let me speak to some single guys right now. Don't marry that first little pretty little thing that blinks her eyes at you. You better make sure she's a God-sent helper that is perfect, perfectly fit to help you pursue and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Single ladies, don't marry the first guy that comes along and calls you beautiful and tells you grandiose stories of adventure or woos you with his sweet words or with his rugged strength. You better make sure that you don't even give the time of day to a guy that hasn't even figured out his God purpose yet. There's a single lady right now listening that needs to hear that. If he does not know his God purpose, don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Adam already knew his God purpose before Eve ever came into the picture. And he had to get to work at that purpose, too, before God decided that it was not good for him to be alone. Why that? Because you can sit back and do nothing and play video games in mama's basement all day long, all by your lonesome. You don't need any help to do that. I know I'm meddling right now. <laughs> not doing anything then why do you need a help meet come on bro <laughs> come it's on the truth, right <laughs> if, if i'm gonna play video games i can do that i mean i you know you can even do that online with all kinds of people around the world you don't you don't need a wife for that you wonder why god's not giving you a wife maybe you need to figure out what god wants you to do and then maybe he'll give you a wife it's kind of how it works <laughs> all right let me stop meddling notice that <laughs> God made man first and then woman. That's scripture. That's not that's not Brother Brown speaking. That's that's Paul the Apostle speaking. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses eight and nine, for man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And obviously we read Genesis and know that that's true. God made woman for the man and not man for the woman. It is creative order. And it, um, it implies apostolic authority. In order for apostolic authority to flow, there's got to be order. And order is arranged by God from whom all authority flows. Now, it has been well documented of late that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And amen. It's true. We need to. But God not only gave us a wife to love, but also to lead. He didn't just give you your wife to love her. He gave you to, to lead her. We think that 1 Corinthians 11 is all about hair. It's not about hair at all. I'm still apostolic. Don't, 
get mad at me. Don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. I'm in the book, though. I'm not letting down any of my holiness standards. But hair is just the sign or the emblem of the covering. It's proof of the covering. The long, uncut hair on a woman is a physical representation of a spiritual principle. Just like the tabernacle was a physical representation of Jesus Christ, of Calvary, of the salvation of mankind. Well, it, it, the hair, the long, uncut hair on a woman is all about the spiritual principle of headship. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. And headship refers to authority and the covering that comes from being under authority. That's why when the centurion came to Jesus, he said, I don't need you to come and heal my servant. I just need you to speak the word because I'm a man under authority as well. And when I say jump, they say how high. And I know you're a man under authority, and all you got to do is speak the word. Because he was under authority, he understood authority. So here's the thing. If we get headship right, then we get everything else right. Because it's about alignment. And the anointing flows from the head down. That's where Lucifer went wrong. And that's why the Bible says, for this calls a woman to have power on her head because of the angels. There's more to it than that. I don't have time to get into all that. But the long, uncut hair on a woman is proof that she is under authority, and the Bible calls that power. The Greek word is exousia, which means the power of authority, rule, or government. The woman who is submitted to her head and shows that submission by having long, uncut hair shows the power or authority that she has received. Because there's no authority that does not come from somewhere. Your long, uncut hair, ladies, show the authority that you have received because you have placed yourself under the authority of your head and your head is your husband. I need, to, I need to clarify something. When the Bible says that, that man is the head of the woman, it does not mean that every man is the head over every woman. And that does not mean that any man is the head over my wife. Brother Crooker, I love you, man, but you're not the head over my wife. And I'm not the head over your wife. And if I was going to try to come in and and tell your wife to submit to me, no biblical precedent for that. No biblical principle for that. You're her head. I'm the head of my wife. Or if she, if the woman is single, it's her father or her pastor. That spiritual leadership. While a man is called to love his wife, the wife is called to submit to her husband. And in so doing, she places herself in a position to receive power and authority that flows down through her husband from his head which is Christ. Recently, over the last few years, as my wife and I have gotten this right and figured this out, I've noticed that my wife and I flow and operate in the same gifts of the Spirit. 
because we're getting this right and we're aligning ourselves. And we and my wife has her own ministry and and she does a lot of different things, but we flow in under the same anointing. I'm talking about apostolic authority in marriage. Ladies, you have power and authority when you submit to the headship and the leadership of your husband. The book that I wrote is about men, but we can apply some of this stuff to women as well. But men, let me tell you, you do need to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How are you doing with that? That's not an easy thing to do because he gave everything for the church. There's an easy way to tell if you're loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Because in most cases, if you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church, she'll have no problem submitting to your leadership. So whenever I feel like my wife is for some reason not following me or not submitting to me or maybe fighting me every step of the way with something, the first thing I do, and I've learned this the hard way, but the first thing I do is I look in the mirror and I check my love. And I have to ask myself the question, am I displaying the love of Christ to my wife? Because if I'm not, it's going to be hard for her to submit. Now, I'm not justifying your wife's behavior if she's not submitting to you. Ladies, I'm not justifying it. The Bible doesn't say that you submit to, to him just be, just when he loves you. And men, the Bible doesn't say that you love her just because she submitted to you. That's all supposed to be happening simultaneously. But by me not loving my wife, I make it very hard for her to follow my leadership and be under my headship. If I'm not loving her the way that my head loves me. But more than loving my wife, I need to lead her. If, if we as men expect our wives to follow us, then we actually need to be leading them. John Maxwell said something that I've always thought was very funny. But he said, he that thinketh he leadeth and hath no one following him is only taking a walk. <laughs> so let's ask that question of all the men out there on this podcast. Are you truly leading or are you just taking a walk? In order for somebody to follow my leadership, they need to be able to trust that I know where I'm going. If they're going to follow me, they need to trust that I know where I'm going and they need to want to go there with me. Leadership implies motion. It implies destination. By, by definition, leadership means that we are moving from one place to another and somebody is following us. So let me ask you guys some questions. Who is the first one to pray in your house? Who is the first one to worship in your home, in your family? Who is the first one in your family to open their Bible every day? Who is the first one to, to say, let's do a devotion? Or who's the first one to get excited about, about going to church? The answer ought to be the husband and the father. Now, that's kind of challenging for me right now because I got a wife that is on fire for Jesus. And, man, it's for me to be the first one, I, I, I don't have to be the first one up. It's not a race, but 
if I'm not doing it and my wife is, she's the one leading and that's not good. And it's a challenge for me because I got a, I got a 17 year old son right now that is operating in more apostolic authority sometimes than I think I'm operating in. He operates in gifts of the spirit and flows in a way that I wish I could have done 30 years ago. So amazing. So I, I got people following me that if I'm not careful, they're going to outrun me. I, I got I to gotta run fast. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. Praise God. But if I'm wondering why my wife is not following me, the next step after I figure out if I'm loving her is to look around and see if I'm actually leading. By the way, I surveyed a hundred apostolic wives and the survey says that overwhelmingly they want their husbands to lead. My wife told me that for years I didn't lead the way I was supposed to lead. And she said it put too much burden on me to have to lead the family spiritually because that was not my place. And I had to do what I was not called to do. But, and she prayed and cried for me to lead and begged and pleaded. And when I started doing it, man, everything got better in our marriage and in our family. Dad, husband, are, are you the one making sure everybody's going to church or is your wife dragging you there as well as the kids? Are you having problems with your kids wanting to go to church? Do you have problems wanting to go to church? In this book that I wrote called Where's the Ephod? the book that God wrote through me, I want to say. I don't want to take credit for this because I never expected it. But And the other books that are coming in this series is where, as well about priest, prophet, and king. I'm calling men, I believe God, through these books, is calling men to step up into their God-ordained role as the heads of their households. Let me make this very clear, though, is that marriage is a partnership, as is parenting. Mom leads the children too, but she should not be the main one leading our children to Jesus. It's okay for mom to lead in prayer, but dad ought to be leading the family in prayer too. Dad ought to be leading family devotion. Okay, mom, if you want to do it, that's fine. It's it's okay to do it, but if mom is the only one doing doing it, then Houston, we have a problem. Why? Because the one that's supposed to be leading is not leading. We want them to follow, but we're not going anywhere. I mean, I can feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost right now. And I'm trying to do all this stuff. So I, I know that some of you are feeling it right now. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up right now, but I am trying to challenge you. The enemy will run rampant in your home, men, when you do not lead. It goes all the way back to the first family. Why did Cain kill Abel? Anger? Hatred? Jealousy? Eh, we, we can give a lot of reasons, and they're probably true, but I blame Adam. I blame Dad, and not just because he failed in the garden, in the sense of he sinned and disobeyed. I mean, Eve gets all the blame for the fall, but the Bible says, like I said before, Adam was with her sat back passively, didn't do anything while the serpent slithered in and started hissing in Eve's ears, and he watched it all unfold and did nothing about it. 
Satan lost all authority when he got kicked out of heaven. And when God created mankind, he gave us the dominion and authority that Satan had lost. And Satan has hated us ever since. But there's nothing he can do about it as long as we men sit in the seat of our God-given dominion and authority. But when Adam vacated it, that's when Satan came in and got it. And that's why he's the prince of the power of the air. What happened? You see, Adam was not given just dominion and authority. I don't know how much time we've got left, Brother Crooker, but... Go on. Keep on. This is good. Okay. This is tremendous. Adam was given only dominion and authority, but he was given responsibility. Because any time I get any kind of dominion or any kind of authority, it always comes with a responsibility. Jesus said it kind of like this. To whomsoever much is given of him also shall much be required. The only way for me to walk in my dominion is for me to fulfill the responsibility that comes with that dominion. I'm going to say that again. The only way for you to walk in your dominion is for you to fulfill the responsibility that comes with that dominion. The only way for us to keep the authority we have been given is to keep the responsibilities that are inherent with that authority. So what were Adam's responsibilities? And I'm actually kind of getting into the next book in this series called Wearers of the Mantle, when we'll talk about being the prophet of the home. But I feel like I need to go there, so we're going to go there. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 outlines Adam's responsibility in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God put him in the garden. He sat him there. He seated them, if you will, on the seat of dominion and authority in the garden. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not call out for Eve in the cool of the day. He called out for Adam. He called out for the man. When it comes to accountability, God is looking first to the man because man is the one to whom dominion was given first. And then God gave it to Adam and his wife. I don't really think, Brother Crooker, that it was just the sin of disobedience that got them kicked out of the garden, out of their realm of dominion. I believe that it was Adam's failure to exercise his dominion, to fulfill his responsibility within that dominion. What am I talking about? He was supposed to dress the garden and everything in it. And that word dress in the Hebrew, it refers to the act of tilling or cultivating the ground to tend it, to nurture it, to develop it, to promote growth. So husbands, fathers, men out there, what are you doing to cultivate your family, your marriage, their spiritual health, their emotional health, their physical health in your realm of dominion? What kind of seeds are you planting in the ground? Are you fostering growth? Spiritual, physical, emotional, behavioral, fiscally, etc. 
in your family? You see, the way you dress your family will determine how protected they are and how prepared they are to face the elements they will encounter in life. Up here in the Northeast, we tend to get a lot of snow, although it's like 50-something degrees today and the 5th of January. It's kind of crazy. Here in Connecticut, anyway. Same in Maine, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with that because I really don't like the snow. I grew up in Arkansas. I like the South. But I like the heat. But the Lord called me here, and thank God for it. But I'm not going to send my children out in in flip-flops to shovel snow. That would be a little bit like giving them a knife to take to a gunfight, wouldn't it? I mean, it's not very smart. Husbands, if you really, if you really desire for your wife to submit to your leadership and your dominion, then you might want to consider planting some seeds of love, respect, romance, passion, kindness, encouragement. Do I need to go on? that's how you dress your wife as what God was talking about in that passage with Adam fathers if you if you really really want your children to honor and respect your authority then maybe you need to consider sowing seeds of love quality time positive affirmation fun educational one-on-one moments take them hiking take them fishing take them take them bowling take them out to do something they like to do mentor them i could go on and on that's how you dress your children to face the elements of the world that they face every single day adam obviously did not cultivate the garden that was his wife well enough did not reinforce and foster spiritual growth in Eve because when she was confronted by the enemy she couldn't even definitively tell the enemy what the word of the Lord was that was Adam's fault because God gave Adam that command and he was supposed to repeat it and develop it and nurture it in his wife But Eve, when speaking with the serpent, added to what God had said, and that was Adam's fault because he did not cultivate that word that he was supposed to cultivate. Or he could have corrected when he needed to when she misquoted. He didn't do that either. That's not a comfortable thing to have to do, husbands, to your wives. And wives, it's not comfortable for you to receive it sometimes. And by the way, my wife's had to do that for me sometimes too. So there's mutual submission that comes in a marriage too. But if Adam had cultivated the land and properly fulfilled his responsibility to his wife, then maybe Eve wouldn't have made that mistake that she made. Maybe she would have known the word if Adam had properly done his job as a husband. His negligence in carrying out his responsibility to his wife left her vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Wow. That's tough stuff right there. But if I don't do my job to cultivate, foster growth, 
help develop spiritually my wife and lead her and arm her with the word of God and, and pray with her and read the word with her or, or speak with her and, and, and pray over her and encourage her, then I, my negligence in carrying out my duty, my responsibility to my wife is leaving her vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Adam failed to dress Eve in such a way as to protect her from the elements that she would face. I've got a challenge for all the husbands out there listening to this podcast. I want you, and this is going to be hard. You're going to, you're, you're going to have to get some courage. You're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord before you do this. But go and ask your wife if she feels like she's protected from the elements that she's going to face of it every day. Be ready for the answer. It may be good, it may be bad, but be ready for it. And be ready to discuss what she needs from you to make her feel protected. One of the greatest needs of a woman, besides that of being loved, is to feel secure and protected. And many times they can't feel the love if they don't feel the security. Husbands, we are the ones I know the Lord is our shield and our exceeding great reward, but guess what? He delegated authority and dominion and responsibility to you to do that for your wife. The second part of that is to keep the garden. It means to guard, to protect, to defend. It implies access control. Setting a guard and determining who or what comes in and goes out and how they come and go in your home. Those screens on those phones and on those tablets and on those computers, the reading materials, the music they're listening to. Dad, you've got access control. My kids have two filters on their devices. One is covenant eyes and the other is bark. You can look both of those up and they're amazing. But I'm not letting anything get in that I don't know about and go before my kids' eyes. And I've got it on my devices too. And my wife and two other men in my life are accountability partners with me on covenant eyes through my devices because I need accountability in my life as well. That was free. I wasn't in the notes. <laughs> But Adam had the responsibility to guard and protect the Garden of Eden and everything that was in it, and that included his wife. It was his responsibility, which means it came with dominion and authority to do everything in his power to make sure that that entire garden was safe and secure. Adam was the one who was supposed to say who came and went into the garden. So how did the serpent get there in the first place? And Adam was the one who had control over everything that happened in the garden. He had dominion. He was supposed to be in control. So why did he allow the serpent to speak to his wife? And why did he allow his wife to speak back to the serpent? Why didn't he step in? It baffles my mind. But guess what? I've been Adam. I've done that. 
I've allowed things to speak to my wife or speak to my children that never should have been speaking to them. I've let down standards in the past of things that I would allow come across the screens and I regretted it and I hated it. And, and then it took, it took now it's been, a, it's been two years now that, that we have absolutely really, it's been four years, but we have, we just have absolutely just purged everything that comes across any screen. And we, but it was hard to do because now I've got to take stuff back and I allow everything. And I had to realize that what they were watching was planting seeds in them. And now I had to go in and do weeding in the garden because of what seeds I let be planted in there. So be careful, men. Be careful, dad and mom, by the way, about whom you let into the realm of your dominion. Because you have control over who comes into your home. And who remains in the lives of your family. Mostly I'm talking about spiritual things right now. But sometimes it's necessary to look at physical people about that as well. And be cautious who you let speak to your wife and your children. Especially those that would speak into their lives. I, I call me old fashioned. I will not go if, unless I have a, a really, really great relationship and I know I have friends, I'm not going to go to another man's wife and prophesy to her unless the husband is there or unless I run it by the husband first. I think there's some order there because I'm very careful about who I want speaking to my wife and to my children. And I always appreciate it when someone says, hey, you know, is this all right? So you can take that or leave it however you want to. But but brother, brother Crooker, I, I'm not going to come to your home or to your church or meet you at winter fire or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'll, I, I'm just randomly prophesying or speaking a word into your wife. I'm going to talk to you because I think I'm respecting you as the head. Because you're the one that has that access control. And if you're not there and I feel like I, need, I would need to speak to one of your children, then I'm going to talk to your wife about that. And I'm going to get permission. Never go wrong with honoring authority, by the way, and staying in alignment. Some of y'all think I'm off my rocker now, but I just think you can never go wrong with honor. And you have men dominion over anyone or anything the enemy tries to bring against your family you need to hear that I mentioned in that story in the beginning about the gun and putting it down I never want to be that man in the spirit realm I want to make sure I've always got sword the Bible talks about the people of God having the high praises of God in their mouth and and a two-edged sword in their hand. I want to be armed and ready at all times when it comes to my family, especially. I've had I've had very real, very graphic spiritual encounters with demonic forces trying to attack my family. But I've learned, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize things, and I'm not I'm not trying to set myself up to be anything special, but I, I got to illustrate this. I've learned that my God-given dominion puts me in a position 
where I don't have to fight with the devils that come against my family. I don't have to go into this long, drawn-out warfare when the enemy comes against my family. I just have to take dominion over them because God has dominion over my family. He has dominion over my kids. He has dominion over my wife. My wife was his before he gave her to me, and my children were his before he gave them to me. And so he delegated that authority to me as the head of my home. Now, doesn't mean that I don't need to pray because I will pray and I will I will speak to I don't I don't converse too much with devils. I, I try not to. Especially when it comes to my family, because I know I'm the one in charge. I know I'm the one that's holding that shotgun. I know I'm the one that has the authority. Not trying to make myself out to be super spiritual, because guess what? If you are married and if you've got the Holy Ghost, you have that authority as well. It was a Sunday night. Um, we were all preparing to go to bed. Uh, I had, I was physically, emotionally, spiritually drained. I preached Sunday morning in the home church. We were doing a daughter work at the time, and I preached in the afternoon the daughter work. Then I went, actually, I preached Sunday morning at a different church at an anniversary service. Then I came, went to the daughter work and preached in our daughter work, and then came and preached our Sunday night evangelistic service at the home church. It was late at night. I was tired. I'd been preaching, ministering in the altar, all that kind of stuff. All you preachers know what I'm talking about. I was drained. I was done. All I wanted to do is get the kids in bed and go to bed and crash. The enemy decided that just maybe I would be fatigued enough to let my guard down that night. So just as I we got the kids in bed, my wife and I were getting ready to go to bed. I was actually about to climb into bed when I sensed a demonic presence near us. Now, I'm not one that looks for devils under every rock. Don't, don't get me wrong, but they're real and they're out there. I immediately assumed a posture of both defense and attack at the same time. I began to pray. And when you pray, you're assuming a, a posture of both defense and attack at the same time. Within just a few minutes, I was directed by the Lord to a specific room in the house. And as I entered into that room, I opened the door. It was one of my young children's bedroom. The Lord allowed me to see the face of a devil that was peering into that window. He looked at me and I looked at him. And I felt a quickening in my spirit. that that was just a scout and that he was sent simply to uh, check and see if I was still on guard or if there was access that night to get into my home. And so what I did is I looked at him, I felt a boldness come over me and I looked at that devil and I said, you go back to the one that sent you and you tell him that I'm still on guard and you're not getting in here tonight. 
and there was no argument. There was no wrestling around. There was no talking back. That little scout turned around and left. And immediately, I said, Lord Jesus, I am too tired to fight this battle tonight. I cannot stay up all night and stay on guard. I'm, I'm worn out. Either you've got to strengthen me, you got to help me somehow, Lord, but I'm asking that you would send an army of angels to watch over my house tonight so that I can rest. I've been about your business all day. I'm asking for your help. And as soon as I did it, an angel appeared in that room, a big angel with a big sword, and he said, rest well, man of God. We've got this. Can I just tell you tonight that not only do you have dominion and authority over any enemy that comes against you, but you have access to God. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. And when you are praying for your family, when you're operating in your God-given realm of dominion, authority, and calling, and purpose— you have access to the armies of God, and he will send you angels to help you fight the battle. You are not alone in that battle. God did not set you up for failure when he made you a husband, when he made you a father. You feel overwhelmed sometimes with the responsibility, but God did not set you up for failure. There is divine help for you. You have authority over the enemy, and God has also given you angelic help. They are there. Just all you got to do is ask, and God will send them. He will dispatch them dispatch them on your behalf to fight for your marriage and to fight for your family. When that enemy is coming in like a flood, he will lift up a standard. And all you got to do is ask because that's the access that God has given you. When you get into your dominion and that and begin to exercise that authority and fulfill that responsibility. Brother Crooker, I feel strongly right now that there are some men out there that need to receive that word right now. You have divine help in leading your family and in fighting the warfare that that God would have you to fight for your family. Paul told Timothy to remember the prophecies that by them he might as war a good warfare. If you've got prophecies over your children, maybe they're lost and not serving the Lord right now, but you've got word from the Lord over your children, then I want you to begin declaring those prophetic words out loud into the atmosphere, because when you do so, you are you are warring in the spirit. You are warring a good warfare by prophesying those prophecies that have already been spoken. When the Bible talks about the sword of the spirit is the word of God, the Greek word is rhema. Not just the written word, but the spoken, inspired word of God, and that includes prophecies. So if you've got a promise from God for your family, for your marriage, 
for for your children, then you need to hang on to it and you need to speak it into the atmosphere because you are warring a good warfare when you do that. And God is going to give you the victory. I feel that right now in the Holy Ghost. Wherever you're listening right now, why don't you lift your hands to the Lord? Why don't you receive that word right now? In the name of Jesus, you have divine help that is coming your way. I declare that God is going to send angels to fight on behalf of your family. When you're tired and when you're overwhelmed, you are not alone in the battle, but the Lord has sent the help. And when you are when you are not knowing what to do, when you don't have the words to speak, dig up those old prophecies and those old promises because God is not a man that he should lie and he is not slack concerning his promises. He will do what he said he would do. He is faithful that promised. And so I, I speak in faith right now. As you declare those prophecies, you are speaking in faith that God is going to fulfill his promises in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Praise. the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Wow. Operate in the dominion and authority that you have. Operate in it. None of that happened because I'm some sort of super spiritual demon exercising uber anointed guy. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because of any spiritual gifts that I have. It happened because I have dominion over my home in the garden, if you will. I have full authority in my family and over every enemy that would come against my family because God gave it to me. There was a general dominion and authority over spirits that was given to me when I received the Holy Ghost, when I was born again of water and the spirit. Everybody gets it. But when I became a husband and when I became a father, he gave me a very specific jurisdiction as it pertains to my family. And he did to you too, husband, and you too, father. As long as you stay on guard and remain vigilant and active, not passive, as the watchman of your home, no weapon that the enemy forms against your family will ever prosper. He's going to try but it will not prosper. It's our job as watchmen, as prophets, as priests, as kings of our home to ensure that no one in our family fits into the category of being those that the enemy can devour. He can only devour those whom he may. And my wife and my family are not on the table for the enemy. You have that same dominion. You have that same authority. I can tell countless times when I've had to exercise that authority in my home. And God has backed me every single time. But I could also tell you of times when I did not exercise that dominion and that authority. And in those moments, the enemy came in and he ran amok in my marriage and in my home. As we close this out tonight, most of our big problems in my family through the years 
can be attributed to me as the head of my household, not exercising the dominion and authority that God gave me. I'm talking about the big problems, the spiritual things and the different things that happen. Most of those things, when I look at the root of it, and it's hard to admit, it comes right down to me not exercising the dominion and authority God gave me, or maybe because I was in my flesh and just, well, that's kind of the same thing anyway. I'm praying for everyone that's listening to this podcast right now, for every marriage, every husband, every wife, and every family, every child, to get in the creative order of alignment and start operating in the, in the authority and the dominion that God has given you. And I'm praying for every man right now to receive courage and boldness Lord, impart a special marriage uh, measure of courage and boldness to every man listening on this podcast right now, that they can exercise the dominion and authority that you have given them, and that they do it in love. That they do it in love, Lord, because they're not to lord their authority over their family. They use the dominion over the enemy that would come against their family. And they love and nurture and develop their families. Let it be so in Jesus' name. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1.00. Five dollars or ten dollars a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.